Welcome back to the Maven Show. This is your host Rohit. Today we have David, the business coach and strategic planner. Thank you, David, for getting into the show. Hi, uh, thank you so much for reaching out to me and for having me. Awesome. So, would you just like to give a quick intro about yourself, like how you got started with your journey of business coaching and entrepreneurship? Sure. So, I uh, got my degree in computer science, and mm-hmm. when I was still in fourth year um, at the University of British Columbia, I joined a young software startup. And uh, a condition of my employment was I had to submit um, an abstract to the Hewlett Packard International User Group Convention, which was accepted. And while I was still in fourth year, I flew to San Jose and gave my first technical paper uh, in front of hundreds of people and um, helped uh, build that software company uh, to a global powerhouse, eventually bought out one of the founders, became partners with the original founder uh, and stayed 20 years. Uh, before moving on. So um, from there, I took a break. Um, My wife and I commissioned a sailboat in the south of France, and we took our three children. We homeschooled them for two years while sailing more than uh, 10,000 kilometers in the Mediterranean. Uh, After that, I was an angel investor, senior executive, always working with entrepreneurial friends of mine, um, usually on marketing and sales and strategy. And uh, when I came out of my last gig uh, in 2015, I uh, decided that uh, I'd, I hired an amazing coach on my 50th birthday. Um, and um, he had had a huge impact in my life. And so I decided that uh, I wanted to give back to other entrepreneurs like Coach Kevin gave yeah. to me. So I became a entrepreneurial business coach, um, you know, and, and someone who helps uh, with strategic planning. Awesome. So you are a strategic planner. So anyone who does not like what the strategic planning is all about. So would you just like to explain about it and how it works? Sure. Uh, So we all have plans for our business, whether we formally write them down, um, whether we create budgets. So they can be as informal or as formal as we want, but we all have plans. A lot of times they're just in the back of the entrepreneur's head. and, you know, a lot of times we come up plans like with um, Robel, which is the name of the company I was with for 20 years. You know, we we like did incremental planning. So we, mm-hmm. we'd we like, you know, let's do a little better than last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we didn't really, we weren't super strategic. Um, we're, we're somewhat strategic, but, but not really strategic about thinking about our markets, um, thinking about our place in the markets and where we wanted to go. And I think if you want to really um, create a high growth company, and especially for owner founder companies, if you want to create a lot of wealth, um, then I think a more formalized planning process will get you there. But in his model, so first of all, his his idea is that a 200 page binder of planning documents is useless. Yeah. A one page plan that you tape beside your computer and look at every day, that actually has some usefulness. But his big, the watershed moment for me was when he suggested you start by planning by looking three or five years out. Where do you want the company to be in three to five years? Mm-hmm. What markets do you want to be serving, mm-hmm. right? What what kind of product lines do you want to have? And what are the key like capabilities that you're missing or, yeah. or are missing today that won't, that would hinder you from getting to that place? And then from there, you work backwards to a one-year plan. And from there, you work to a quarter plan. And, you know, 
I really believe that if you get offsite with your senior, yourself and maybe one other person or with your senior leadership team um, to do an annual plan, which can take anything from half a day to two days, I actually spend two days with my clients to come up with a good plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and then every quarter, get out of the business and again, get offsite or somewhere where you really think strategically about the business and plan the next quarter. Um, the advantage of planning for quarters is a quarter is 13 weeks long. In 13 mm-hmm. weeks, you can make a lot of progress in a business. Yes. And if you really made bad choices, like your execution will inform you where you made bad choices and they're not like uh, catastrophic. They rarely would cause you like to completely fail the business or have the business, you know, go out of business. So you can course correct. So that's why this quarterly 13 week pulses. Hmm. Enough time to get a lot of stuff done, enough time to course correct if you need to. The other thing is um, entrepreneurs generally, in my experience, try like overestimate what they can do in a quarter and underestimate what they can do in three or five years. So you know, they have like 12 goals for the quarter. I've never met a business or an entrepreneur that could achieve 12 significant goals in a quarter ever. Mm -hmm. Um, Three, maybe five, if you've got a team behind you and you're very, very focused, um, that's possible. And when you get an entire company focused on say five goals and everyone pulling in the same direction towards those goals, Mm -hmm. you have a much higher probability of success. Yeah. One vision, one goal, bunch of people for the same, for real. Exactly. And communicating that and helping people who are at the very bottom of the (laughs) organizational structure Mm. really understand how their work relates to those goals. Mm. So they can see a connection. Oh, if I do these things, it's going to help me achieve these things the company (laughs) has said that they're going to do. That's real. That's real. So you always used to say about the culture, you know, like how culture drive the high performance. So tell me, like, if anyone has a business, you know, like how can they improve the culture, the business culture they have, so which can drive the higher performance, you know? Sure. So first of all, I think is to understand that every company has culture. Yep. Right. It's often invisible. It's often unspoken. Um, it usually, again, owner founder businesses, the culture is usually driven by the personality and kind of the behaviors of the founder CEO. Mm. Um, so in starting to bring culture alive as a couple pieces, one is what is your culture? Have you got it written down? Mm. So like, and to me, culture is defining the behaviors that you want from people. Mm. So it's all about behaviors. And again, you know, a handful is probably plenty, uh, especially in a smaller company. Um, Because again, no one can remember like all these things. Mm. Um, And when you start making sure that people in the business behave consistently with those cultural values, you actually need to communicate less. Like you need to People just behave in a certain way because you have people in the business who behave that way. Mm. Now, when you really define your culture, what usually shows up is there usually are a number of people. Sometimes you're really high performers are great performers, but very toxic or very against the cultures of the business. Mm. And sometimes you have to make, you know, I really coach a lot around 
only hire people who meet the cultural values of the company and fire the ones who clearly demonstrate that they don't, which the second one is usually harder. Mm. Um, and sometimes you got to wait for a bunch of people to move on before you can really integrate that culture. Like when culture is really powerful and you end up making a mishire, like the rest of the employees and, and people, like they, they like eject it like it's a virus. Yeah. Like why, why did you let this invade into our culture? Um, and, and on the hiring side, you know, it's extremely difficult to change people's behaviors. It's much easier to teach people skills. Now, so, you know, you can't wait to totally teach someone a computer science degree. So <laughs> like, you got to balance this out, but my rule of thumb is hire for culture first skills. Second. Yeah. So culture first skills. Second. Um, most organizations hire the opposite way oh do you can you do this if you're you know my background is technical and software engineering software so you know it's can they program in this language do they understand this framework right mm -hmm. um and all the things that go with that whereas that's not the first question you should those are important and you do need to validate those things but if there's not a cultural fit first don't make the investment in figuring out the other parts yeah. like whether there's a skill set fit. Um, and when you do this over time, my experience again is that um, there's just less communication. There is more bonding. There is higher, you know, people behave consistently. And so the per overall performance execution speeds up, goes faster. Mm. Um, and uh, that you just become a more efficient, you know, more capable company. That's real. No, that's cool. So I think in business, people skills is the thing as well. Like people management, people mm -hmm. because when the team is small, or maybe when you just have two, three people, no one cares. But you have more than ten people, you have to care. If you have more than hundred people, you have to care a lot. If you have a big company, like like you know, like more few thousand people, a thousand employees, you know, like you have to care for a lot. So how people skills works into the company and how the business leaders can be the best at it, you know? So I'll disagree with you that at three people, maybe actually the time of the business where you need the most people skills, like among my clients, I have a number with like a small number of partners who are mm -hmm. like the co-founders of the business, mm -hmm. spend a lot of my time doing relationship counseling or interpersonal counseling, mm -hmm. like, because they don't bring up issues with each other because they're afraid to for whatever reason. And they need to learn the skills to be able to listen attentively to each other um, without judgment yeah. uh, and to be able to respond appropriately. And so the first people skill, especially for senior leadership, but I really think for everyone, uh -huh. is this ability to listen. A lot of the times if you're in a business meeting, you can actually almost see in people's eyes. They're, they're half listening. And what they're really doing is they're Build, busy building their argument and rebuttal <laughs> or whatever the person is saying. Yeah. That's not listening. That, that, that is no part of that is listening. In fact, if you catch yourself doing that, then you know, you're not really listening. And the other thing is to really hold space for someone else's point of view, even especially when it's not yours, mm -hmm. like, and to honor it, you don't have to agree with it, but you should release some judgment around that and be open to what those people because there might be a lot to learn 
the cultural piece. So hiring for culture first is a deep personal skill because you have to you have to interview around these cultural things, which means asking very open-ended questions and then being able to listen to the answers carefully um, and what they're telling you and what they're telling you like in between the lines by listening to their to their response. So even there, uh, where you want to make culture a much more important part of the business, you know, this is all soft skills, people skills. Um, and then in management, again, my rule of thumb is that managers should always have one minimum 30 minute meeting with their first reports every week. And mm -hmm. in those meetings, your first report report should probably be doing 70 or 80% of the talking and you mm -hmm. shouldn't be doing more than 20 or 30. Uh -huh. Right. And, um, Again, people skills like, you know, another thing I coach around a lot of is if some an employee comes to you and asks a question and you just give an answer, there's no motivation by the employee to go figure it out on their own. There's mm -hmm. no motivation for them to really remember the answer because they know if next time they've forgotten it, they just come to you and you give the answer. Mm -hmm. So as a leader, you know, your goal is to help coach people to like, what would you do in this situation? What are the top three ideas that you have? Like, please don't come to me with a question unless you thought about it for a bit and you have a couple suggestions for how you think it might go. And oftentimes they can. And if they can't come up on their own, then you help coach them like how you would think about the problem hmm. and, and then ask them if you thought about it this way, what might your answer be? And again, some people won't at first be able to come up with answers. But if you keep working at it and keep challenging them to, um, to come up with answers, uh, then eventually they will. And like, you can only grow so fast as a leader, you know, when you're providing all the answers, then as, as you have more people, more first reports, you just get more questions because everyone turns to you for the answers. So again, I have to coach people to like reverse this around and do not automatically give an answer. And that's why I think in like, you know, like in the management perspective, uh, like big companies, all the companies has the chief people officer, you know, to take care of the people they have and the entire management, you know? It does. And, you know, there's still, I still think it drives from the CEO right down to the, like whoever's the first reports to the CEO and how the CEO yeah. behaves with them, yeah. because then that's how it behaves with others, mm. right? And again, sets that yeah. norm for the company. Yep. I still think a chief people officer can be really important, but I think there's some things only the CEO can lay the true groundwork around mm. and has to lead by example. If we can switch back to culture, one of the things that um, becomes really obvious to people is if you say my culture is that I'm always high integrity and honest, and then you're a person who, yeah, you fudge the facts and you're always kind of skirting around really whether it's that way or not um, people are gonna like call your bullshit like if you really start opening up about culture like you have to live the culture as a leader you have to actually behave in a way that's consistent with what you said the culture is and if you don't people people should and will call you out on it. i think i like from teen to getting into business you know like leading people from the smallest to i think for some people, it comes a lot easier than others. Mm -hmm. Completely agree with that. And I think there is a lot of room to 
help build the next generation of leaders. And, and I think it's a very much teachable skill. Like, again, I think your role as a leader is to spend much more time coaching and coaching people to become their next best self so that someday maybe they could become uh, mm -hmm. much more of a leader than they are. And in fact, in my experience in working with a lot of different companies and entrepreneurs, the single biggest limit to high growth in a company is growing the next set of leaders. Yeah. That is the biggest limiter, mm. is growing the next set of leaders. So I work with people who spend a lot of time figuring out how to grow that next group of leaders. And you can jump, you can hire and bring some people in, but a lot of it has to, you know, if you're growing 30% revenue year over year, then uh, you have to figure out a way to help grow the people who are already in the company, already know the systems, know the markets, like they're the ones best able to, to grow. But again, not everybody is capable. Not everybody wants to. But if you want a high growth company, that's as a CEO, I think that's one of your primary jobs throughout the company. How do you help everyone figure, help grow the next generation of leaders throughout the whole organization? Top to bottom. Got it. Cool. Awesome. So you used to talk about the entrepreneurship addiction as, as well. You know, like everyone has the addiction. Some are smoking, weed, wine, and stuff like that. So how should entrepreneurs get over this addiction and how to how they can avoid or probably? So, well, so let me be honest with you and your audience. So first of all, I want to just be open that I'm an alcoholic. Good. Oh, and... that's right. And I was an alcoholic. I was a high-functioning alcoholic for a very long period of time. Mm -hmm. decades and you know i used uh, alcohol to um you know make me feel better when things were going weren't going well and you know i made the highs go higher when things mm -hmm. were going well um so there was always an excuse to uh, to drink um business is tough like i you know only about 10 percent of the population ever become entrepreneurs because it takes you have to be very special uh, mm -hmm. right to become an entrepreneur and it is really stressful. And I, I, and there are other things, other roles in life that are very stressful, but I'm, I specialize in entrepreneurs. Um, so I guess the first thing is if you think you have a problem, you probably do. Um, and I always, I want you to know that there's hope. Like for a long time, you know, it was just, I coped with it and I really didn't have hope uh, that there is a solution. It's the most powerful approved drug in the world. So mm -hmm. like if today, the makers of alcohol went to our various governments, like in the United States would be the federal, the FDA. So if you were in the United States and you invented alcohol and you went to the FDA to get approval, it would never, ever get approved. So you're dealing with an incredibly powerful drug. And if you're drinking to change your feelings, yeah. then potentially you have a problem. I mean, there's other simple things, but I want you to know that there's hope and don't do it alone. I, I've never met a person who got sober or got free of drugs by on their own it you need some kind of group i mean i'm part of a 12-step group the best known one and i've even been to meetings in your country you know if you're really averse to that or it really doesn't work for you there are other there are other groups and you need to find a peer group that you can plug into and in my experience zoom and virtual groups and facebook groups that do this can help they're not sufficient you need the actual face-to-face -face or human accountability with another person. So there's that aspect if you still are really using alcohol or drugs to cope. And then there's the piece around what it's like to be an entrepreneur in sobriety. Because for many entrepreneurs, some aspect of their business 
has involved uh, or does involve alcohol. Like, so I've, I've been involved in a lot of high-end selling. There's always this point where you, you know, a couple times usually have to fly down and meet all of the prospective people in the, <laughs> in the prospects and go out to dinner and, yeah. you know, and it's very normal that, uh, you know, everyone has two drinks before dinner and a bottle of wine each, which mm. by the way, would, would meet the criteria for, um, you know, you do that a couple times in a month, you've met the criteria for alcohol use disorder in Canada or the United States. And so, you know, what do you do in those situations if you're an entrepreneur? Like if you're still expected to go down and be the face of the company and, you know, yeah. close the final sale, you know, and I've, I've been through all of that. I know what it's like. So, you know, for one thing, always make sure you have a drink in your hand and uh, just make sure it's not alcoholic. And, and you don't have to tell you don't have to justify to people why you don't drink. You can just say, I made a health decision and and I don't drink alcohol. Like you got to figure out what you're going to say, how open you're going to be, whether you're going to continue those policies, right? That's some of what I do coaching and work with entrepreneurs who maybe have a couple of years of sobriety, but they're still struggling. So how do I keep the, you know, the business aspects where alcohol is still keeps showing up? I go to networking events, everyone's mm -hmm. drinking. Like, how do I cope with this? How do I deal with this? And you know, I have a number of strategies for how you do it because I've managed to stay sober for more than 5,000 days and more than mm -hmm. 14 years. Any best advice do you have for anyone who is getting started with the entrepreneurship? You said entrepreneurship is not easy. I know that. You know that. Many people know that who are entrepreneurs. Any best advice do you want to give to anyone? Young entrepreneur. Just want to be I, one. Yeah, young entrepreneurs. My biggest advice is um, go find a problem that people find extremely painful and then find a product service solution mm. that is a fantastic pain pill for the pain that they're in. Mm -hmm. I find a lot of people who like, you know, they they describe to me their market and what the problem is. And it's like, that's a want. People like kind of want this or want that, but they don't actually need that. Find those things that are keeping people awake at night even in retail, like what keeps an individual awake at night? And why is buying your thing make them feel better? And uh, that's often the weakest point I see in most business plans is that that's not articulated well enough. Um, and or the other thing for young entrepreneurs is find your segment and go focus on that first because you only have a little, you only have a small number of resources. Mm -hmm. And if you're trying to sell to the whole world, like people say to me, well, who who really needs this? And they're like, oh, anyone. You know, I like to hear, oh, they're between 25 years old and 35 years old. They're male. They, yeah, they yeah, yeah. come from this. They live here. They've gone through this in their life. And this is what's really bothering them. Like that I can work with. I, I very rarely get that level of specificity. Um, yeah. Or sorry, that was a big word. I, I rarely get anything that specific. Um, but you know what? The really good entrepreneurs get that specific and learn how to market and address that um, particular niche and do it really well and then figure out, so what's the adjacent niche to that? But start very focused before you, you know, jump over to the next uh, to the next niche. So that lack of focus, I see, you know, I've seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of business plans. And, and that's yeah. a consistent weakness that I've seen in, in business plans. And uh, my other piece of advice is enjoy the ride. And remember, it's a marathon. It's it not is. a sprint. It is. Right? It's, awesome. it's a marathon. So um, so enjoy it because, you you know, it, it, it'll take a while. So yeah. enjoy it every day. 
Awesome, David. Well, thank you so much for having me into the show, sharing these insights regarding the people skills, people management, and entrepreneurship addiction as well, and how to get over it. So yeah, thank you so much for having in. Thank you for having me.